0: I don't get to say this on Sundays very often, Merry Christmas. It's uh, great to be here together today. Uh, this is a wonderful place to spend part of our Christmas together. And uh, I'm glad to see all of you here. I hope that you're having a good holiday season and that you're able to spend a little time with, with friends. Uh, those of you who've been traveling, we're glad that you're back safely and know that several of our number are out of town today and uh, we, we wish them safe travels. But it's so great to be here and it's been just such a cold week. It's been a dark week as we've just come through the shortest days of the year with the winter solstice. And in these cold, bleak times, we're thankful for holidays, we're thankful for Christmas, we're thankful for the lights and the decorations and the joy and the singing. Because think about what the winter time would be like without these distractions that we have to help us through those, those dark winter times. This reminds me of a poem by Thomas Hardy that I'm trying to put up here on the screen. There we go. Uh, that talks about... How bleak winter can be. And it starts out like this I leaned upon a coppice gate when frost was specter gray, and winter's dregs made desolate the weakening eye of day. The tangled vine stems scored the sky like strings of broken lyres, and all mankind that haunted nigh had sought their household fires. The land's sharp features seemed to be the century's corpse outleaned. His crypt, the cloudy canopy, the wind, his death lament, the ancient pulse of germ and birth was shrunken, hard and dry, and every spirit upon earth seemed fervorless as I. Pretty depressing, and if you're familiar with Thomas Hardy, that's par for the course. He writes a very pessimistic way, and wintertime can bring that out in you. Um, Seasonal affective disorder is a real thing. You know, these short days and long nights and coldness can creep into your soul. But at some point in this poem, a song of joy breaks forth in the depressive poet's wintry thoughts, and he hears a bird singing. And so it continues At once a voice arose among the bleak twigs overhead, and a full hearted even song of joy unlimited. An aged thrush, frail, gaunt and small, and blast-beruffled plume, had chosen us to fling his soul upon the growing gloom. And this little bird, this thrush, inspires the speaker, and he wonders, does this little aged bird know something that I don't know? And so the poem concludes, So little cause for carolings of such ecstatic sound was written on terrestrial things afar or nigh around that I could think there trembled through his happy goodnight air, some blessed hope whereof he knew, and I was unaware. I have borrowed this morning's title from Hardy's poem, The Darkling Thrush, Some Blessed Hope, because I want to bring you from God's Word some hope this morning. As we come to the end of one year, and we pivot, we, trend, we, uh, we transition to a new year. I think a lot of us need that. And uh, I think it's good that we have these holiday traditions to brighten these times, because they can be very hard. These are the shortest days of the year. And before people celebrated Christmas, they were celebrating the winter solstice. In their superstitious minds the Romans thought of this as the death of the Sun and a rebirth of the Sun as the shortest day came the Sun was dying and then when we start the new year the Sun is being born again and at some point when Christianity became the, the official religion of the Roman Empire they shifted from celebrating a star from celebrating the Sun To celebrating a person Jesus Christ and thinking about his birth and that's how the Christmas holidays began to be celebrated this time of the year you know as Will said we don't know exactly when Jesus was actually born probably in springtime most people think but because of this tradition of celebrating and lightening our spirits and singing and having joy during the dark, cold winter months, we've come to think of these things around Christmas time. We speak of old man winter, and we think of the new year as a baby wearing a top hat. And we just uh, think about this pivotal moment in our lives every time this year. It can be difficult, not just because of the short days and the cold and the darkness, but also because. It's been a tough year for a lot of you. Some of you have lost loved ones and are going through the holidays for the first time without them. Longfellow wrote, we speak of a Merry Christmas and many a Happy New Year, but each in his heart is thinking of those that are not here. And perhaps that has weighed you down a little this time of the year. It's not uncommon. It's natural. Maybe you haven't lost anyone, but it's been a really tough year for you and you're glad this year's over, and you're hoping next year will be different. Well, I think that it's good for us to think of the transition, the pivot from one year to the next as we stand here on Christmas Day. And I want to share with you a quote I found attributed to John Piper that I think has a lot of truth in it. He says, endings are for gratitude, beginnings... Are for faith. What do you think about that? Endings are for gratitude. Beginnings are for faith. As we stand at this transitional point on the calendar, we need to look to Scripture for guidance on the proper perspective in this moment as we uh, bid farewell to the last year and look toward 2023. And if Piper is right, if he means we should look backward with gratitude and look forward with faith, that's a very biblical idea. Look backward with gratitude and thanksgiving, counting your blessings, and look forward to the future with faith. It's really only one move because you can't look forward with faith unless you close the door on the past and... Count your blessings and be grateful for what has gone by. And so it's turning your back on the past so that you can move forward in the future that we're talking about. And through faith we can see what Hardy was only able to glimpse through the song of that that darkling thrush. We can see some blessed hope. And I'm going to arrange our thoughts this morning just two ways. First of all, we're going to ask how can we look backward, with gratitude, and secondly, I want to ask, how can we look forward with faith? So first of all, how do we look back with gratitude? And There are four things here, two don'ts, and two things we should do. Let's start with the don'ts. Number one, don't fixate on the past. um, I'm sorry, Isaiah 43, verse 18 says, Remember not the former things... Or consider the things of old he's not talking about willful amnesia he's not saying you know completely forget everything that happened yesterday or that happened over the last year what he's saying is don't be obsessed with the past are you one of those that rehearses the mistakes that you've made over and over again where you're just plagued with regret and you can't Get by your past because it's, it's haunting you and, and you're just beating yourself up all the time because of your mistakes. This is not good and this is not God's will for you and this is not what He wants you to do. It's not the proper perspective for the past. If anyone knew about mistakes in the past, it was Paul. When Paul the apostle had uh, not been introduced to Jesus, he was Saul of Tarsus. And he was a persecutor of the church and he had been responsible for murder if it had not come directly by his hands he had thrown men and women in prison he had orphaned children persecuted the church jesus took it personally he asked him why are you persecuting me and those horrors of his past must have threatened to plague paul over and over again If anybody had ever been tempted to fixate on his past, it would have been Paul. But look at his perspective in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. He said, This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Don't fixate on your past. Number two, the second don't. Don't romanticize the past. This is the other extreme. Don't look at the past with rose tinted glasses and talk about the good old days and curse the present day as if everything was great in the past and nothing is good today. That's not the way God wants us to look at life either. Look at the wisdom of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10. Say not, why were the former days better than these? And then he says, it is not from wisdom that you ask this. If you're one of those people that just lives in the glory days, the old days, and you're always asking, why are these days so much worse than those days? The wise man says, you're not asking this out of wisdom. It's foolish to constantly romanticize the past. There's a great example in the latter part of the Old Testament when the Babylonian exiles returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. We've been studying this on Wednesday nights in our study of Ezra and Nehemiah. The Babylonian captives are are returning to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel, and they are rebuilding the temple, and there are some older exiles who remember Solomon's temple. That was now gone. And several passages tell us about their attitudes. For example, in Ezra 3:12, it says, Many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. They're doing a good thing, but these men can't get involved because they're weeping over the the past. It was so much better than this present day. Haggai, the prophet who prophesied during this time, said in Haggai chapter 2, verse 3, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? He was speaking to those old men weeping as they were trying to do something good. They were trying to rebuild. Zechariah prophesied alongside Haggai during those difficult times. Zechariah 4.10. And he says, Who has despised the day of small things? Oh, this temple is too small. It's not like the other temple. That's a great example of what we're talking about, romanticizing the past so that you discount your present. You can't see any of the blessings around you because you're thinking of an imaginary past that that probably never was. Haggai corrected them in their attitudes and he promised that a glorious future awaited them. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, he says, "...the latter glory of this house..." shall be greater than the former says the lord and in this place i will give peace declares the lord of hosts there's a very interesting book about how our minds work called thinking fast and slow by daniel kahneman kahneman is a psychologist he's conducted numerous experiments he's done a tremendous amount of research on the brain and how the mind works and how we think And with regard to memory, he says, memory is all we have of the past. The past doesn't exist in reality. All we have is the way we remember the past. And he says, none of our memories are accurate. Now, you've probably noticed this before when you remembered an event and maybe somebody had recorded it and uh, you looked back at the recording, and it, you think, that, that house looks nothing like the way I remembered it. Those people don't look anything like the way I remember them. That didn't happen exactly the way. That's the way it is with all of our memories. Our memories are flawed. And so if you're romanticizing the past and you think everything was good back then and nothing is good now, just know that you're mistaken about the way things were. On the flip side, if your past is just terrible and you think everything was awful, Kahneman in his book says our memories are emotional and our emotions tend to maximize the bad and minimize the good. And so if you're really struggling to overcome your past because of the way you remember it, a good thing to do is try to look at it from a different perspective because there are other ways to look at it. And a healthy way to move forward is just to change your perspective about things in the past. But the point is, don't romanticize the past and also don't fixate on it in a negative way. So what do you do with your past? How do you look back with gratitude? Here's a couple things we should remember. Right Number three, remember the lessons you learned. There were things that you could do. There were things that you should not have done so what did you learn failure is a great opportunity to learn and to grow in fact nobody gets anywhere in life and has any degree of success without making a few mistakes and so learn from your past and that way you can add value even to the bad things in your past they're a part of you. you can't change that but if you remember then you can do better the next time. Look at the formula and the order of the formula in Christ's words to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. Look at it. Number one, remember, and then having learned the lessons from the past, repent, and then having repented, having changed, you can do the good things that you started out to do. But remembering those lessons that you learn is the first step in all of that. And so that's one healthy way to look at the past. Another thing is you're looking back, remember the blessings that God has given you. The Psalms say, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Psalm 71, verse 11. And also Psalm 103, 1 and 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Sure, there are bad things in 2022. You're going through bad things now. But are there not some blessings that you can hold on to? Is there not a perspective that you can take where you look back and you... Count all the the great things that happened. All the people who were there with you through the hard times. All the people that you still have to rely on, who care about you. All the jams that God got you out of. All the answered prayers. You know, you can always look at things and say, well, it could have been worse. That's a way of counting your blessings. Are there not some good things for all of us? there's something we can look back on and be thankful for. And that's the proper attitude. It's to be grateful for the year that's gone by. But as we stand in this transitional moment, it's not just about looking back. We need to pivot and look forward. So let's get some help on that. Looking forward with faith. The proper attitude of the past is to look backward with gratitude. The proper attitude... Of approaching 2023 and our future ahead of that is to look forward with faith Now, how do I do that and to get the answer to that question I'd like to take you to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 that very well-known definition of faith and you'll see in there four qualities of faith and if you let these four qualities of faith sink in I honestly believe that you're going to want to make faith a part of your life. It's going to motivate you to look to your future with faith. So here's the first thing we see. First of all, Hebrews 11:1 says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So here's the first quality of faith that comes out of that. First of all, faith is substantial. He says faith is the assurance and that comes from a Greek term, hypostasis, which has to do with a standing under. That's the literal rendering of hypostasis, a standing under. It's an undergirding, a solid foundation. So he's saying, if you're a person of faith, you're not standing on a shaky, uh, undependable foundation. You're not on shaky ground. You're on solid ground. You're on a dependable support that's the idea that's being related there the writer uses this in chapter 1 verse 3 with regard to Jesus and there he says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature the word nature is translated from the same word that is translated assurance or substance in the King James Version what does he say there he says if you want to see God If you want to see God's true nature, the reality of who God is, look at Jesus. He is the exact imprint of God's substance, His reality. And so what does it mean to say faith is the assurance, the substance, the hypostasis of of our hope, of the things hoped for? What does it mean? It means faith is shows you the reality of the world that you live in, more so than your eyes can show you. Hugo McCord translated, Faith makes real the things for which we hope. Faith gives real substance to what has been promised so that we're already able to enjoy the things that we haven't yet received. We rejoice as if Christ has already come back and we're dwelling with God in eternity already even though we know that hasn't happened. And that makes it possible for us to do things like follow Paul's command in Romans 12, verse 12. Rejoice in hope despite your sufferings. How do you you rejoice in hope? Well, if faith is your substance, if it's your reality, that is precisely what you can do. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, 13 to rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. How do you do that? You can't do that without faith. Because without faith, the reality to you is just that suffering, an unending, senseless, purposeless suffering. But faith tells you there's more to it than that. There will be an end to the suffering. And the suffering has meaning, and it can refine you and make you better and give you steadfastness and, and it's, it's something that gives you solidarity with Jesus Christ. And so note, first of all, you need faith because faith is substantial. Number two, faith is hopeful. It's the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. That means faith is not necessarily confined to the present because hope is all about the future. In fact, hope is just a type of faith, a forward-looking kind of faith. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25 and how Paul talks there about hope. He says, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope is waiting. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And so it tells us faith is hopeful. Specifically, those things hoped for in the Christian belief system are the things that will be ushered in at the return of Jesus Christ. Things like resurrection in a glorious body, heaven, dwelling with God for eternity. These are things that give our lives substance. This is the end to which we look for and anticipate, And so, secondly, faith is hopeful. Now, as you look at that definition, look number three, that faith is evidentiary. The King James Version says it's the evidence of things not seen. We have in the ESV the conviction of things not seen. So faith is not just wishful thinking or blind faith. However, it's also not based on sensory evidence like scientific truth. But just because it's not based on empirical evidence, that doesn't mean there's no evidence for faith. There is evidence for faith. For one thing, you have the inspired Word of God. Romans 10, 17, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Now you look at the Bible, it bears the marks of inspiration. I'm not going to take the time to point out the characteristics of the Bible that show beyond a shadow of a doubt that it could not have been written merely by human beings it had to be, as is claimed in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it had to be breathed out by God. But if you read the Bible, you can tell this is no ordinary book. And this book is fueled for your faith. That's evidence. That counts. Not to mention you have on top of that the undeniable truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, we know... That tomb is empty. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. Skeptics have tried to disprove it. The whole Christian faith system falls down without it, but it stands strong because Jesus did rise from the dead on the third day, just as He promised. And if He did, that means that all of us will rise as well. Peter calls it a living hope, 1 Peter 1, 3 because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and so faith is evidentiary finally faith is revelatory it reveals things it reveals specifically Hebrews 11 1 things not seen this is not seeing is believing it's believing is seeing it's not just about trusting your eyes and the physical visible things you see faith reaches beyond the visible to the invisible. The invisible being just as real as the things that your eyes are detecting. I like what F.F. Bruce says in his commentary. He says, physical eyesight produces conviction or evidence of visible things. And then he says, faith is the organ which enables people to see the invisible order. So your eyes are the organs that God gave you to see what's tangible to see the things around you. But he also gave you the organ of faith to see the invisible world that's just as real, maybe more real, than the tangible world that your physical eyes pick up on. In Hebrews 11, the writer uses several examples, like Abraham in verse 10, who looked forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He also talks about Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, 27, who saw him who is invisible. How, how, Moses, how did you see invisible God? He saw him through faith. So faith is revelatory. And it's important to point out that these unseen things are better than the things that you see. If you open the Bible and you read about the realities in the spiritual realm... It should bring you peace and joy and optimism it should make you feel better this is what Paul is saying at the end of 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 he says that our light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen because the things that are seen are transient or temporary but the things that are unseen are eternal. More simply, you can go to Philippians chapter 1. As Paul is weighing life and death, he doesn't know if he'll survive his imprisonment. And he says, to depart and be with Christ is far better. That's the simplest way to put it. Faith shows you the unseen, and when you see the unseen, you see something far better. In the words of Elizabeth Barrett Browning, the best is yet to be. No matter where you are in your life, you haven't peaked, if you're a Christian. If you have this hope and this faith we're talking about, the best is yet to be. If you're living on this earth, the best is yet to be. There's no way that you've gotten to the best that God has for you. Hope for the future is all about possibilities. You wonder, will I ever get out of this fix? And faith says, it's possible with God. I think about the the man in Mark chapter 9 who brought his poor demon-possessed son to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, If you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus throws his words back at him and he says, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Now we have to be very careful there. When Christ says all things are possible, he's not saying that God will do anything you want, God doesn't act. Out of character with his nature. He doesn't go against his own will. There are certain things that need to be done, and God in his omniscience knows what they are. Certain things that don't need to be done, and God in his omniscience knows what to leave off. But there's nothing that's impossible for him. And so, what Jesus was saying wasn't God will do whatever you want him to do. Now, he's your puppet, and you can just tell him, and he'll he'll act on your behalf. But what he's saying is, everything's possible. And not only that, the one with whom everything's possible is good. And he wants the best for you. And friends, that's something positive to hang on to. And that's a reason why we can look toward the future with faith, And with hope as we close out the year and look forward to another one let's put our faith in God and not ourselves you know what chokes out what chokes out our hopeful expectation what chokes it out is our thinking that we've got to do it all and we know we're not strong enough to do it all we know we can't do it on our own and so we feel stressed we feel anxious we see all the things that need to be done, and we, just, we know, I just can't do it. No, you can't do it. You're not supposed to do it. You're supposed to have faith. You're supposed to trust in the One who can do it all. I haven't gotten to our text until just now. I saved it for the end because I wanted to pull all this together from Psalm 147. Taylor read it for us just a moment ago. In the first part of it, I see him saying, Look back at the past, with gratitude. Psalm 147, verse 7. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. Look back with thanksgiving, he says. And then there's a pivot In the text in verse 10 in verse 10 he says look forward with the strength of God in faith his delight he says is not in the strength of horses nor his pleasure in the legs of a man God's delight is not in what you can do through your own power your own cleverness and ability verse 11 But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, and those who hope in His steadfast love. God doesn't take delight in your great ability. What delights Him is in your dependence on His ability. The subject here is always God. The first part of this text is on being grateful for what God has done, And the second part of the text is being grateful for what God will do. And so if you're struggling with this pivot, you're fixed on the past, and everything ahead of you just seems bleak and dire and gray, and you're looking for some blessed hope, look no further than the Scriptures. Because God tells us exactly how to transition into this next year. He says, look back with gratitude. Let go of the painful past and look forward with faith and with hope and you will be blessed. My prayer for all of you is for a good year coming up, good things, and I know that if we approach the future with faith, God will truly bless us as a congregation, and each and every one of us individually, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for all of you who are here. And God will certainly bless us in this next year. As we come to a close, we have an opportunity here to get some help in making this transition. Maybe you need prayer. We're going to sing an invitation song. Maybe it's time for you to obey the gospel. You want to take that first great step forward with God on your side. God is always pleading with you, and Christ stands at the door, and He knocks. Will you answer it? Will you let Him in? If there's anything that we can do to help you, please come right now as we stand together and as we sing.